welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Merry Christmas. It's so good to be with church family Christmas morning. It's, uh, it's, like, uh, it's appropriate, right? It's the day of Christ's birth. Well, not really. It's the day we celebrate Christ's birth. Um, so good, like Daniel said, to have the believers here from Buckelsdorp Baptista Bible Community. Practiced that a couple times before I got up here. The singing was obviously much better today because of you guys. It's also very good to have family and friends visiting with our uh, regular church community. The song we just sang, Joy to the World, is probably one of my favorite hymns to sing at Christmas time. It's joyful and triumphant and theologically rich. But the truth of the matter is that it was never really intended to be sung as a Christmas hymn. Um, believe it or not, Isaac Watts wrote it um, to celebrate the second coming of Christ. Um, when he would return and, his, and the full expression of his glory would be revealed. Having said that, it's still a great song to sing at Christmas. Because the incarnation, or God coming as a man, um, it's something to be rejoiced in at all times of the um, it also marks the start of the culmination of all of God's purposes from eternity past. We can look back at Christ coming as a man, rejoice in the hope it has brought, and simultaneously look forward to the day when Christ will come again and wipe away every tear, and the effects and reality of sin will be erased. The hope found in the first coming of Christ is where we turn our attention. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather I've entitled the sermon, God, The Good News of God's Glory and Our Peace. And there are two major things that I would like us to consider together. I'd like us, I would like to show why the incarnation is good news. And then I would like to show that this good news glorifies God and brings peace. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Dan read this morning from Luke 2, 1 through 14, so that we could see a little bit of the context. But I'm going to be preaching specifically from verses 10 through 14. And we're going to jump straight into the passage together. Let's read verse 10 together. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Between the Abrahamic covenant and the birth of, God, of Christ, God has been working in and through the nation of Israel specifically. Rarely within the Old Testament text will you, see, um, will you see Gentiles come to faith in Yahweh. Israel is the, is the recipient of God's particular blessing. They receive the promises of God, and they often hear audibly from God through the prophets and priests. Despite this special relationship with the Lord, Israel constantly falls into idolatry, and their hearts are, their hearts are hard towards him. You see the Lord pour out his grace and love over and over. You then see Israel repent of their sin, but then complacency and failure soon follow. And this continues for hundreds of years of their existence. Even the heroes of the faith like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, and David all fall into patterns of gross sin and failure. Within Israel's history, there might sometimes be a pretty good king that very soon following, he's followed by a wicked king. 
and you see the people's hearts fall back into idolatry. And it's almost worse, they're almost worse off than they were before the good kings ruled. The Israelites knew they needed a Messiah. They longed for the day when the Messiah would usher in the promises of land and peace and joy that had been given by God. But something that not many first century Jews were expecting was that their Messiah would actually bring joy to all the people, like it says in verse 10. All people here meaning people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Israel did have indications that the Lord would work through them to be a blessing to the nations. In Isaiah 42.1, the prophet records the words of the Lord. He says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. That's an Old Testament passage, right? It's Isaiah. There are several passages like this, but this incredible outpouring of God's grace on all the nations would be something almost impossible to grasp for a people that had become very self-focused. You see, Israel has a history of occupation by pagan nations, and these, these pagan nations had very little regard for their well-being. They were currently, in the first century, living under an oppressive Roman occupation. This would have made the plans of God in bringing all nations to himself a very, a very challenging pill to swallow. Despite this reality, some in Israel understood the coming of Messiah as good news, not only for themselves, but also for the Gentiles. One such individual who was looking for the Messiah was Simeon. The Lord allowed Simeon, Simeon to see Christ when Mary and Joseph were presenting Jesus. Really good for my thicker <laughs> message. So just a short section from Luke 2, 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. No longer would God work through a specific nation, but rather he would work in a specific people who were made one body through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Those who by his grace receive the free gift of salvation through repentance and faith and are given the very spirit of God would create in them a genuine love for God and for others. Praise God that people from every tribe and tongue and nation can know him and that you and I can be grafted into the family of God. Let's look next at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word Savior here implies that we need saving from something. It's only good news of great joy if we, if we actually need saving, right? Let's look together at Romans 3. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. One. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This sin has put a wall of division between us and our maker. The just requirements of God's law is sinless perfection, which none of us can hope to attain. This is a somber truth, and it's a consistent truth throughout Scripture. But praise God, he has offered us good news of great joy in the person and work of Christ. Let's continue in Romans 3.24. We are justified by his grace as a gift. 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The word propitiation here isn't one that we, uh, we use typically in the, in the common speech today. It simply means that Christ became our substitute and took the sins of his people upon himself. In doing this, the Father's just wrath was satisfied. And we who are still prone to sin can stand before him blameless as we look to Christ and take on Christ's righteousness as our own. Not only is Jesus our Savior, but he is also Christ, right? The Christ or Messiah has come. The long-awaited fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. The final and perfect prophet, priest, and king that all those less than perfect Old Testament characters pointed to. So he is Savior, who is Christ, and he is Christ the Lord. He is also Lord, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. This is no earthly king or sovereign who will wither and fade like the grass. This is God himself come in human flesh who will rule perfectly forever. Isaiah 9, 6-7 again foretells of this Lord when it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Praise the Lord for the good news that he has come as our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. After hearing the angel's announcement of Christ's birth, it must have been quite shocking for them to hear the words pronounced in in verse 12 of the text. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. What? You're telling me that the Savior of all nations, who is the fulfillment of God's promises, who is God himself, is going to be born in a very... Un- it would, this manger most likely would not have... The shepherds most likely would not have immediately realized who exactly this announced baby was but they would have at least understood that he was someone pretty great and glorious. So the contrast between who he is and how he was born must have struck them as very odd indeed. Another point of reflection is that these shepherds to whom the angelic announcement was made, they were not the most reputed members of society. Add this to the reality that the announcement was made in an open field uh, away from the city center and crowds, And you start to see a little bit about the nature of this good news of incarnation. I'll quote from J.C. Ryle to help establish the point here. The first people to know about the baby are shepherds, some of the most lowly members of society, not to scribes, royalty, or courts. Has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? The lack of stature bars no one from God's kingdom. The weak of the world are often called poor and needy. This is good news for those who are marginalized in society. The favor and blessing of God has nothing to do with our wealth or position. But this is also a warning for those of us who may. If we are to come to Christ at all, we must humble ourselves before him. The theme of Christ's coming for the lowly and humble 
resisting the proud is a major theme in the book of Luke. I could read many examples of this, and Christ actually tells many parables in Luke um, about this. But we're going we're gonna to take our time specifically in Luke 18. Um, this is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. So we see that this good news is for people from every tribe and tongue and nation. It is news of a Savior, the promised Messiah, who has come to save the humble rather than the self-exalting and self-righteous of this world. The second major theme that I would like us to consider is that this good news glorifies God and it brings peace. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The purpose of every living thing and God's plan throughout all of human history is ultimately to work all things for his own glory. After all, he's the only one worthy of glory. The angels here were doing what they do continually. They were praising God and glorifying his name. But they were saying glory to God in the highest. I would suggest to you that they were praising God because they were seeing the plans of God from eternity past come to fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, this baby was the ultimate fulfillment of the promises of God. This was God coming in the flesh. As we have seen, we are all sinners of unworthy of God's grace. In fact, in order for God to be a good judge, he must judge accurately. Or righteously. Because of our sin and rebellion against our Maker, we are deserving rightly of hell. But this good news that we have been learning about this morning is that God Himself in the person of Christ gave Himself a ransom for many. He took on our sin and shame and was nailed to the cross, experiencing great pain and ultimately the wrath of God poured out in full the wrath that we rightly deserve. This is why the angels sang glory to God in the highest, because God was doing something unbelievably gracious and loving and just. If we are followers of Jesus, then this good news of the incarnation and the ultimate death, burial, and resurrection of Christ should cause us to glorify Him. One of the most sobering and, I think, beautiful passages in Scripture is Isaiah 53, 5-6. This is a prophecy of Christ bearing the weight of sin and purchasing our peace. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Through the person and work of Jesus, who came in the flesh, we can now know and experience peace with him. We not know God. We had no fellowship with him. And we could not possibly live at peace with others and certainly not with our maker. But now because of Jesus, the Father looks on his children and sees the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ. If we accept this free gift that Christ so willingly offers, if we turn away from our sin and turn towards Christ in faith, we can experience a restored relationship with God. We can experience peace with God in this life and then perfectly in the life to come. The final thought that I would like us to consider from this passage is that this peace is not something that comes to every man. Let's read verse 14 in the ESV again. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or as the NIV puts it, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Almost every commentator I read indicated that the, uh, that the NIV, that it's a particular translation of the word, gives the best rendering of the initial intent of the passage. Peace to those with whom, on whom, with whom he is pleased, or on whom his favor rests. What is the correct interpretation? I found John Piper's short explanation of this to be the most helpful. The point is that even though God's offer of peace goes out to all, only his chosen people, the people who receive Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord, will experience the peace he brings. You see, this good news, this beautiful reality that God himself has come to purchase a people for his namesake, it's news that is meant to lead us to repentance. I've been saying repentance a lot. I think I should say again. Repentance simply means turning from your sin, from an attitude that rejoices in sin, and turning toward God. Generally speaking, the human heart tends to fall into one of two ditches. There are those who are content in their sin. They revel in their disobedience to God's moral law. Jesus is calling them to turn away from finding a twisted and short-lived joy in their sin to finding lasting joy and peace in Jesus. On the other hand, there are those who consider themselves to be excellent, upstanding, moral people. They may give to the poor, or go to church, or even give generously of their time for the good of others. If they are doing these good things in an effort to gain favor with God, or if they are trusting these works as the basis of their salvation, God is calling them to repent of their pride. We cannot work our way to peace with God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Both of these individuals mentioned are living in sin and idolatry. In their own way, they have set themselves up as Lord of their own lives rather than Christ. 
God has come in the, in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, to set us free from the burden of overt outward sinfulness and the burden of self-righteousness. We have a very real choice to make. Will we bow the knee to Christ as Lord and receive the peace and joy that the Savior brings? If you're without Christ this morning, come, turn from your sins, and accept this good news of great joy. Any who come to the Father will not be turned away. Christian, do you grow weary in the Christian life? Do you find that you have little joy in the things of the Lord? I often find myself in this condition. Perhaps we have forgotten the good news. God himself came in the flesh, bore our sins, and rose again. He then opened our blinded eyes and softened our hardened hearts and caused us to see the great beauty of the gospel. This Christmas... May this good news of great joy lead us to glorify God. Father, my prayer for myself and for the followers of Jesus and attendance this morning is that this good news of peace with God would result in a deep-seated joy regardless of the external circumstances that we find ourselves in. I pray also that you would give us boldness Carry this good news that we have experienced to our friends and neighbors, Lord. Bring revival in our hearts and in the town of George. Open blinded eyes to the truth of the gospel so that many may taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Savior's birth.